0: okay so the lights are dim the mc says ladies and gentlemen please give a warm welcome to adam clark you walk out onto stage what's the first thing you say or do
1: and why well i mean there's a number of different ways you can approach this when you are blanking you can always say give a big hand for the previous act (laughs) <laughs> that is a good out because i don't I don't know if you ever had this like i, I always wonder if the setup for music is, is as nerve-wracking as the setup for comedy because you're already on stage and they're seeing you and they're seeing you set up and they might even witness you depending on how it is they might even witness you doing some sound checky stuff right so there's already like your toes in the water for the audience so to speak you're both acclimatized to each other whereas with stand-up it's like all right now we have to keep the energy of this show going and this person's going to run up and the first thing they say better be good Ah!" that's nerve-wracking
0: so that's an interesting distinction because you're trying to maintain the energy that the mc is giving you Mm -hmm. whereas as a band you're trying to create energy in a sense like maybe i mean I don't know. If, if you're a very popular band and people are excited as you walk on stage, maybe you're just trying to keep that going. But otherwise, if you're a normal, not popular band like we were, the you're, first thing you want to do is create some energy, create a kind of energy.
1: Yeah, yeah, so, yeah.
0: So, so as a stand-up, when you were going on, you were you were trying to keep the energy alive that the that hopefully an MC was creating.
1: This is how I, I would see it, because the MC has the most thankless task, and it's one of, one of the reasons why – Like, some people make excellent MCs, and some people make terrible MCs, regardless of how good a comic they actually are. Like, some terrible comics make amazing MCs, and some amazing comics make terrible MCs. Like, it's a specific kind of skill. Like, you have to have the same talent set as the tap-dancing guy from the Deaf Comedy Jam, Have you ever seen the tap dancing guy from the deaf comedy jam? No, I'm afraid I haven't. Oh, well, let me tell you a little something about the deaf comedy jam as a white person. (laughs) Um, when an act would, when an act would just tank this, uh, brightly colored tap dancing fool character, would come out often with a large cane or possibly even a net <laughs> uh, to chase away the act and like dance for the people who paid money to see the show. Was because the deaf comedy jams were notoriously loud about any act they did not like.
0: <laughs> right. Okay. So that's, I see what you, yes, I know. I, I am now, I am now familiar with what you're talking about. Yes.
1: Yes. And speaking of good openings that inspired uh, a, a rather famous bit of Bernie Max before he was, famous i guess it wasn't a bit since he would have just done it the one time i think but when he came out to again the notoriously turn on a dime deaf comedy jam audiences like they they either like you from the minute you're on or they despise you and need you to leave uh he he just walked on and said i'm not scared of you motherfuckers right right. which they immediately loved and it's like that's a great opening (laughs) Like, I don't know, I don't even remember how the rest of, like, Bernie Mac's circa 1992 act goes, but that opening is brilliant. So
0: when you would go out, did you have some equivalent that would, like, is that your, would would that be your idea to show the audience that you're not as scared of them?
1: Well, I had, I had uh, the opposite approach (laughs) with, uh, with. Uh, I had the opposite approach from Bernie Mac because I wanted to show the audience that I'm desperately frightened of them. <laughs> uh, and that I am an uncomfortable human being. Well, get that out of the way first. Uh, so I remember the very, very first show that I did. The absolute first one. The one where I was so nervous that I had bought a recorder so I could start recording my sets. And I forgot that I had it because I was in such a state of free floating worry. Uh, that I went on and I told people that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a really anxious person. I, and it it interferes with your daily life to the point where I had just gone up to the bar and when the bartender asked me if I wanted anything, I just said, Adavan And that was my opening. But the thing was saying that off the top of, of the show one, it's a, it's a joke that is short and loud. So it can follow an MC's energy because an an, uh, an MC typically is loud unless you're trying to craft a different kind of show and tell the audience it's like this is going to be a different energy. Like you know who'd be who's a great comic who would make a terrible MC unless you're trying to create a different kind of show. Emo Phillips, <laughs> right? And I I I would try to tell a joke that is like quick and would get people's attention and would ideally communicate what my energy is and what i'm feeling or and or the subject matter that i'm going to tackle because i did a fair bit about mental illness and my struggles with it uh, in my act so that that joke was kind of this multi multi-purpose thing that i tended to use as an opener for at least the first couple of years that i was doing stand-up i think and it seemed to work because the thing you want to do and what can make a stand-up show work is that the MC has to like again they have such a thankless job. I am not shitting on MCs. They have they have a very specific thing to do and not everybody can do it. You are the warm-up person. You have to be energetic and likable more than you have to be funny. You know? Right. And when you uh get on oh, when you get on stage after that because they also like they have to move the show along. They have to make the sponsor announcements as inevitably there are some, especially at comedy club shows. Uh, you have to get on you have to match that energy for a bit you have to meet them halfway at the top which is why i think a lot of comics go oh round of applause for this and then when the audience have have done that they've continued cheering even though the mc's last note on stage is always give a big round of applause for this person who's about to come on and then that person comes on and goes give a big round of applause for the people you just saw This is a weird thing. Uh, But what you have to do if you have a joke is you have to state your joke and it has to be like different enough so that you can pivot off of it and go to whatever your energy is. If it's like a more medium energy or low energy kind of act or it's going to go into some weird territory, it might be more cerebral, it might be dirtier than the MC. It might be clean if the MC is dirty, etc.
0: So for those first few years, you always led with the same joke?
1: uh i mean always no but if it if it was a show that i knew that i was going to be watched by more than just comics uh and if there was a uh you know if there was a large crowd of people who i was fairly confident had not seen me before or at least had not seen me in a while yeah that was that was a joke that i would open with uh if if you're at a show that is predominantly comic or is is mixed or small i always felt that that was a safe place to open with the first joke that you wrote that you're excited about like the newest thing that you are aching to say because it would be freshest for the audience that and also your excitement in telling it i find papers over the cracks in the writing like you would be so pumped To do this bit that you concocted, that the bit itself might not actually be that coherent yet. It might be this thing that is a really waffly idea that is not fully formed. But, you know, you're coming on stage. They have no impression of you. And the first thing they get is you biting your tongue trying to say this thing that makes you laugh that you probably could not explain fully. And you're going to kind of waffle – with it on stage, and then once you've gotten that out of the way, if they're with you for a little bit, which they tended to be, then you would follow up with something a bit more polished that you've, you know, added a new tag to or reorganized in some way. So it, it, for smaller shows and for open mics, it was more fun to open with "What's the newest thing I'm excited about?" Hmm. But also, so it's like openers have a bunch of different purposes. Uh, an opener for comics. Like I said, if you're, if you're at an open mic or you're at a show that is predominantly people who have seen you before, whether they're in the quote-unquote industry or not, uh, open with something new. Open with something new that you are excited about. And they'll be like, oh, there's going to be new shit. And it's like it doesn't matter if it's going to be 50% your act. You're, this communicates to me the jaded half-in-the-bag comic <laughs> that you're not going to waste my time and that you're going to try some new stuff. Great. 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 Uh, if you are doing it in front of audiences that you've never seen, and especially like larger audiences, at uh, typically like a club space or a very obviously communicated, this is a comedy space where comedy takes place. Then you want to start with something polished and something that always works, because you want you're matching. It, it is a, it is a show with an MC, so you're matching their energy, and you know you're telling a joke that that does that, but pivots. Like I said. And allows you to go off on your own, uh, personality and, and, and your own act and sort of communicates. It's like, all right, well, the show will still be funny, but I do something different. And yeah, that, that, that would, that I think would, would tend to be it. You know, you're, you're doing something new for the people who've heard you before and they'll forgive any roughness because they've seen you enough times to know it's like, oh, when this person goes on stage, I don't have to go for a smoke. It's interesting because,
0: just thinking about the, how I constructed music sets, the problem of repeating yourself is not a problem, right? Yeah, people love music. Well, right. But, but also they hate comedy. The way that even vaguely pop music works is through repetition, is through yeah. hearing it again and the kinds of comforts and, and new things that emerge from that. So uh, we'd start with a song that would be something that was seemingly liked by most of our fans – but never start with the big hit. Yeah. But start with something that's poppy, that's up tempo usually, that might show off a little bit of a little bit of something something, a little bit of a little bit of panache, a little bit of fanciness, a little bit of leg, a little bit of leg. Something quick also, just mm-hmm. to like and and also just something that gets you gets you out of there, out of the gate. Yeah. You want to you want to sort of storm through the first song. Make sure everybody's having a good time, hopefully. But make sure that you've gotten that behind your behind you. So our we had basically two songs that we typically could start with. Uh we switched between the two. But both of them were short, up-tempo, had some intricate parts in the middle of it, uh, were a little bit little bit silly. And then once they were done, you can go into all sorts of directions, depending on what we were trying to do that night. That was that was sort of our mode for starting. So so If I had, even if I had like new stuff that I was going to be showing off, I would usually start with an old standard just to get everybody into the headspace of the type of band that we were. Hmm. If they knew, if they were familiar with that,
1: and and that that makes a a lot of sense because I mean, as you said, like people want to hear what they have heard before. That was the one (laughs) difference between music and comedy because it's it's a very rare kind of person who goes to a comedy show going. I hope. I hope this bit is done again. That's <laughs> not uncommon. It's not, it's not totally abnormal, but it's, it's – well, I guess it is uncommon, but it's, it's, not, um, it's not usual. Some people are like that, but very few want to hear it. In fact, the common complaint that you get when you're a comedian is, oh, I heard some of those jokes, not even all of those jokes, some of those jokes three months ago. Right. Or the last time they were in town. It's like, oh, some of that I've heard before, even if it's just one or two. Like people are disappointed that it's not uh improvised. They're they're always expecting a brand new show, whereas like from 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 a musician standpoint, people are always disappointed that enough of the hits didn't get played. You know, you always hear about I remember that was the big thing when uh both Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen came to Newfoundland in the same year to perform live shows everybody loved the leonard cohen show because he basically asked them "Was like what do you want to hear right i'll play all of those he was live by request and bob dylan did not give a shit what you wanted to hear he wanted to play his most recent things and the things he was interested in playing and was not interested in playing rainy day women for you no <laughs> But yeah, not, not interested at all. And, and people were pissed. Like people were, people were angry. It's like, no, you didn't play the songs that I know. Uh, and, and that, and that's always been like the different dynamic with like music and comedy, which is that like people want to kind of clap along and sing along with your music. Uh, even if you are a difficult band, like the fall, (laughs) um, people want to, people want to hear what they know. And with comedy, If they even detect, like, oh, this is a similar uh, premise as another joke that you did that they've heard or it's a reworked bit, they're disappointed as if you're not inventing an hour, say, if you're, like, a a big traveling comic or 90 minutes or two hours, heaven forbid, uh, that it isn't invented out of whole cloth and totally new each time. Yes. So you would open with not the biggest thing because obviously you're going to, like, close or encore with that. Oh no! You want your biggest
0: thing to be like the fourth song. Oh, really? You don't want to end with that? Well, you you want to have a good closer, yeah, like that. But a closer is not necessarily the same thing as your hit, huh. right? So you start with a you start with a up tempo song. You play a few songs to that will hopefully keep the mood going or or show a few other sides of yourself, mm. of your band, and then as the interest potentially is waning that's when you bring out the big hit that you know is going to be the 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 crowd pleaser and that and that marks the shift in your set and then you have some big thing that works as a closer and to work as a closer you want something that is uh it can be you know there are up closers that are up and closers that are down but you want it to either really bring if it's if it's a down closer you really want to bring the feeling to a to a point to mm-hmm. like Get everybody nice and sad, and end on a quiet note of despair. Let's say, or you can have a big up tempo one, which you want to have like a really nice. You want a blowout, right? You want to have something where the chorus goes on and on at the end, or there can be some craziness, or or in the in like a a, a ludicrous guitar solo or or equivalent. Uh, You want to have something big and and brassy, which which you know is hopefully also going to be somewhat of a hit, but you don't. You don't necessarily want to end with the song that most people are most excited about seeing you for. You want that to be
1: reasonably early on. Yeah, I mean, okay, I can I can understand that, and so it is all about crafting kind of like the theme. Well, maybe not theme, but the tone of the show. Right, and also it's not. I mean, comedy sets tend
0: to. You can't end sad with comedy. (laughs) I mean, you you can, can, but but not many people choose to. I guess, Um, but. Also, a sort of, quote-unquote, well-crafted comedy set, especially one that's longer than five minutes, hmm. like the ending pulls together a bunch of threads from throughout the the performance, often. Yeah. It, it, it can. It, that's one approach. <laughs> but can. in other words, there's a sense that you're, everything that you've been doing is building up to this moment, or you pull that sneaky callback at the very end, or something like that that, make, that, that ties it all up with the bow. And that's not usually a sort of thing you can get away with in – music, because your songs don't relate to each other. They can't sort of call on the other songs that you've played in quite the same way. So there's a sense that you, you, you're you building to a crescendo, I would think, in most comedy sets, that you're, you are ending big, and you want to end on your strongest material.
1: I mean, typically, yes. The advice that was usually passed around among comics was start with your second best joke and end with your best joke. Hmm. Whatever that would be, which was interesting because you'd usually hear that naturally when you are starting out as a comic. And I don't think you have a second best joke, let alone a best joke. (laughs) You're just flailing and hoping something sticks or sticks.
0: That's also the advice that they give to how to construct a good sentence is the most important stuff goes at the end. The next most important stuff goes at the very beginning and the middle stuff. Nobody's going to read.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I like that even that, just the middle portion of a sentence is (laughs) TLDR. Exactly, it is. (laughs) And now, how long exactly, in terms of years, were you playing as the minor thirds?
0: Uh, um, Through your storied history. (laughs) Let me think. We were playing for... When did our first album come out? 2002? So we were playing for six years as a band, basically. Yeah, six years.
1: And so during that time how like how often were you changing up your openers, or did you always open the same for six years well i didn't have those
0: the songs that the two songs that became our standard openers were not the first songs we wrote, as you might imagine, but we would switch it up sometimes even after we'd written those two songs, and those sort of had become established as the ones we would start with. Like you try out different things, of course, but but they were pretty solid. Like we felt I felt pretty confident about those two. Ending songs were all over the map. Like I think there was one one particular song that we ended with more than others, but I feel like we had a few. Now I need now I just want to run the numbers. Now I just want to sit back, (laughs) look over the hundred or whatever number of shows we did, and figure out exactly what was our most common openers and what was our most common closers. Should've done that before the
1: podcast, but I didn't think about that. <laughs> ah, so you get to hear us planning on air. <laughs> where is my where is my list of shows?
0: Well, we started with one of them there. That's right. Actually, one of the two songs that we did, I did re- was was actually a very early song. So that probably was. This is boring. This is bad podcast. This is all getting edited out. What's the song? <laughs> you want to know what the songs are? Yeah, like what the- what are the songs and why? <laughs> Okay. There were two songs that we would start with. One of them was called Reno. It was about a person whose partner had <laughs> – that's really kind of hard to describe. <laughs> All right. Imagine you've got a partner, and one day they look vaguely unwell. And so you decide that they are about to die and you must leave now. <laughs> Uh, Okay, (laughs) it was was several steps of mental processing removed from the "I shot a man in Rito just to watch him die" Mm -hmm. bit. But it was uh, the chorus was "You're gonna die, you're gonna die, and I'm not gonna let you take me with you. You're gonna die, (laughs) Uh, etc." And it featured at one point, sort of the two singers. We would be singing slightly different words and. That it would mesh together in a fun way as happened in the other song which is called 300 and it was about somebody who was taking revenge on an ex-lover by bowling a perfect bowling game
1: right that 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 tale is old as
0: time these are the types of songs we wrote or i wrote <laughs> so yeah it was about like really focusing your anger and concentrating on the terrible things that were done to you mm-hmm. and bowling 300 and achieving
1: perfection I see. So it sounds to me that by choosing either of these songs as your opener, you're telling the audience, we're not going to take ourselves too seriously. And there's going to be a sense of humor that is tongue ever so slightly out of cheek about it.
0: Yeah. And again, 300 also had me, like the chorus was me sort of intensely singing 300 while Charlotte would be singing a sort of backing line of, uh, we shall see perfection in our lifetime, we shall seek revenge at the same time. Huh. Uh, so they both highlighted the fact that we had two vocalists. They were both probably two minute long songs. They were both very uptempo. There's a nice trumpet part on 300. <laughs> it was all good. And neither of them ever made it onto an official album. Oh, they they were openers. They were not. They were not. They didn't fit into any of the album arcs.
1: That's an interesting story for another <laughs> for another time about building an album. Wow. So despite the fact that you obviously got a response from both of these songs and they got your fans excited about them, they never showed up. Were they ever released though as like singles or on some kind of EP?
0: Yeah, we had a recording of 300 available as a MP3. You could download. It was just kind of a recording that we've made while rehearsing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it wasn't. The best quality, but it, it did actually capture some of the energy, which is one of the reasons why openers don't always translate well onto albums. Is because that type of energy that you create live is sometimes hard to capture. You capture a different type of energy in a recording situation than you do live. That's not related to comedy, I assume. Maybe <laughs> no. <laughs> um. Anyway, those, those were the two. Those those are the plots of the two songs that we would play. I don't know if uh, I don't know if a person listening to them for the first time could even gather what those songs were about. Mm -hmm. They weren't hiding it necessarily, but they're not what you expect from songs. So um, they might, and they're, and they're very quick. So catching all the nuance might not have been able to happen, but we, or at least I, that's the lead singer for both of those songs and knew what they were about. And I was able to channel the, the intensity of those, of the scenarios that are being described And hopefully get that intensity across in a way that showed that this is the sort of thing that we're doing and could get you through that opening moment of like,
1: we're on stage now, what are we going to do? And that brings up another question, though, about how that relates to comedy is, was, um, I, I guess I'm curious, was brevity as important for an opening song for a set as it is in comedy, where it's like another rule that you hear a lot of is also in addition to starting with your second best joke your second best joke better be your shortest joke yeah so is it important to play like a short song like under four minutes maybe even a two two and a half minute song uh as opposed to uh, starting off with your half hour led zeppelin-ish indulgence
0: so that's the other approach that we would sometimes do is is play a longer song one that starts very quiet and sort of builds over a few minutes Easing yourself into the bathtub, so to speak. Okay, that was a thing we did less often, but it's definitely a mood. It's 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 definitely a way that you can you can work a set list, but but most of the time that wasn't the type of show we were trying to do.
1: I'm curious then, uh, would would you have the uh, the long song? Did you did you find that, like, who benefited most from that? Like, the audience or the band? Like, would the band kind of get into that and that would put you in a, a good mood for the show? Or was it a audience thing where they would slowly come towards you and get more and more invested in the song? But it, it was, like, a, a weird energy to maintain and didn't kind of, like, get you on the ground running, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like, is it better to start excitedly? If you're uh, if you're in a band, but what is the best thing for the audience for a music show? Two, those are the two things that I'm wondering. There,
0: it depends on what kind of band you are. Obviously, yeah. If if what you do are sort of slow jams, then you got to start with that. Uh, it also, it depends on the on where the show is taking place. So, if it was a house show or an intimate thing, if you if you had a lot of trust with the audience. Mm-hmm. That they were going to pay attention and that they could you could you could ease them into something, then you could you could get away with a slower opening. It always felt like there were things that you can unlock by doing that. You could express a kind of intimacy by starting slow. By the fact that you weren't doing employing shock and awe tactics to win them over. I always felt like that signaled that we're doing something a bit different tonight, and that the right audience would get intrigued by that. Mm-hmm. But it also, I don't know, the short song, it felt like the short up tempo opener was good for both the band and the audience in a general situation. Just because, you know, you get it out of there. You get, you get, it, you get past it. You get it out of your system. You're, you're ending on an up tempo note. You can either pivot then to a slower song or you can keep the energy going for a bit longer. Uh, the audience feels like they've had a quick chance to evaluate whether they're interested in you, but then you have a you can get them to another mode really quickly so that they have before they've entirely given up their attention or hope, you can say, well wait, we also do this. Uh so there are a lot of advantages to the to the quick opener. Mm-hmm. But there are definitely contexts where it's lovely to be able to pull out the the slow the slow opener. You're Not Funny is brought to you by Megaphonic FM. Go to megaphonic.fm and check out all our fancy and friendly little podcasts. And hey, if you're in Toronto on Saturday, March 21st, we're throwing a party. Go to megaphonic.fm slash party for details, and hopefully we'll see some of you there. I'll be there. I will be there, too. Yeah. Maybe maybe three of our four listeners will also join us.
1: <laughs> you never know. I think there's a couple of cross-country treks that are involved for them. <laughs>
0: All right. This time around, the topic is openers, and I think it's my turn to go first. Sure. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light and thought, Oh, that's a bit bright. Turn it down, turn it down, cried Steve. Sorry, said God, I didn't know you were awake. I wasn't, said Steve. What is that stuff, anyway? I'm calling it light, said God. What do you think? It's too much, said Steve, and he rolled over and tried to go back to sleep. So God separated the light from the dark and called the darkness night and curled up with Steve for a bit. On the second day, God separated the sea from the sky, and God showed the sea to Steve, and Steve said, Are you thinking what I'm thinking? And they spent the rest of the day skinny dipping, and so that was pretty good. On the third day, God created land and filled the land with grass and trees, and then Steve wondered if it wasn't all a bit too green, and they spent the rest of the day arguing with each other. But secretly, God suspected that Steve was right. On the fourth day, God made the sun and the stars, and Steve said, well, that's all well and good, but it doesn't do anything about all that green, and so they had that fight again. On the fifth day, God made fish and whales and birds and filled the sea and the sky with all sorts of creatures and made sure they were all sorts of different colors so Steve would shut up about it. But there were so many different types of fish and birds and such that it was pretty late by the time God finished and Steve had already gone to bed. On the sixth day, God made all the creatures of the land. The cattle, the wombats, the penguins, the wolves, and topped it off by making humans, which looked a bit like Steve, and God wondered if Steve would notice. And so God showed Steve all the animals, and Steve looked over all the animals, but as soon as he saw the cats, he spent the rest of the day watching the cats, and the cats jumped onto the land and it was cute. And the cats curled to sleep in the sun, and it was cute. And the cats licked each other, and it was so cute. And Steve said, God, you really knocked it out of the park with this one. And God was pleased and forgot all about the humans. And on the seventh day, God rested by taking Steve to that island in Japan with all the cats on it, and it was good.
1: Chris, do you think that Funeral directors find child coffins. Adorable. Is that the whole bit? That was, that was, that's an opener. Yes, that is a good one. That's a good one. Uh, And before I ask you about that, I will just, I guess, communicate the intention there is that that would essentially lead into both a early bit and a closing bit about death. And I think that that one-liner is just designed to signal my approach to it. Right. It tells the audience what they may or may not want to hear for the next, you know, 10 to 20 minutes. Your approach to death is children first. <laughs> yes, I'm polite that way. So what prompted you? I mean, obviously, you know, creation myth opener, sure. But uh, what prompted you to create what sounds like uh, uh material that would be ideal for Morgan Freeman's stand-up act? Should he ever choose <laughs>
0: Oh, that's that's great. Part of it was wanting to try other types of theoretically funny materials and modes, um, not just necessarily stand up. Mm. Part of it was just having thought the idea of rewriting the opening to the Bibble to think well, what would Just just see where that goes. But now that you've got the idea of Morgan Freeman's stand-up bit in my head. Yeah. Uh, that's that's really
1: tem- I'll have to go off to call him and and that's just it like morgan freeman's voice is asmr to so many people that he could have the best material possible but that like slow laconic delivery of his my god everyone would just be having eargasms they would not be able to to react to the stand-up they just enjoy his dulcet tones so much
0: yeah i don't know it was a thing to do <laughs> I was, it was originally like my original thought going into it was going to be much more about being God, making the earth, making everything and being just dissatisfied with it all. Eh, that'll do.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's the, that's the thing about the earth. If, if not the universe, Chris, is that it feels very first drafty from a creator. Yeah. We're still waiting on God's Chinese democracy.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Um. Yeah, the original sort of place I was going to was to have um, God create the light and then think about how the light is going to cause skin melanomas and how the lack of the light was going to cause vitamin D deficiency and be like, eh, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine.
1: <laughs> but I don't know. I, w- I went a different path. <laughs> There is kind of a a fun uh, premise, uh, albeit perhaps best for an NFB short about uh, the creation myth and all of God's decisions uh, to uh, for how to create the universe uh, just creates more and more problems, and that's why you have the the six days of just trying to revise and revise and revise and then giving up. There is a fun there is a fun premise there. I feel like
0: that's what Harold Lloyd's Bible would be like. Hmm. I enjoyed the well wrought nature of your joke. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) The, The ruthless
1: efficiency with which it achieved where it was going. It was that particular opener and that whole bit seemed to come out of a realization. And this is the interesting thing about being a performer, and we'll have to discuss this at another point is that what is you realizing what you're communicating to the audience by things you can't control, such as your speech patterns and your appearance especially mm. and it occurred to me that what audiences might be seeing based on my my then quite shaggy hair and uh long and not always kept beard <laughs> um and, and a fondness for baggy clothes is that I might not appear, uh, shall we say trustworthy? <laughs> like I, 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 I had, I had kind of a, a loose slobby sensibility and I was like, well, why don't I just emphasize that and make it so that the audience doesn't, does not know whether or not they can, you know, trust me so to speak about they might not agree with all the things that I am going to say. And that's the way I should lead them on from the very beginning. And, A thing that I tried to do to communicate that idea was uh, when I would tell that joke in particular, I would dart my eyes around the room as though I were telling a secret (laughs) (laughs) to a room full of, you know, potentially like 50 or 100 people or sometimes as small as six. Yes. Because that's always the fun thing to think about and something you, you should potentially think about too for <laughs> your inevitable foray into stand-up, Chris, for a long career. Um, is like what would you be as a stand-up in terms of what you would want to communicate and what you naturally communicate anyway. Because so much of what you are as a performer, whether you're an actor or an improv person or a comedian – is just what you already are, and you're either playing that up or trying to play against it. I don't want to have to choose what to be. <laughs> you want it to be all
0: things to all people or nothing to anyone? I don't know.
1: Nothing to anyone would be a good first album title, would
0: it? <laughs> yes. <laughs>